CITR.ca. Stay tuned now for The JSO, coming right up with Gavin Walker.
We would like to welcome you to another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or, of course, on your computer, www.citr.ca for live streaming. My name's Gavin Walker, and we have quite a show lined up for you this evening. I hope you were with us last week when um, my guest, actually the guest host, uh, took over, really took over from my spot because he picked all the music and did such a superb job. Uh, you can always check out our podcasts on citr.ca. If you miss that show, it I believe it's one of the most important overviews of the up-and-coming Vancouver International Jazz Festival because my guest was the redoubtable media director for the jazz festival and a founding father of the jazz festival, Mr. John Orsick. And we had a great time last week and uh, a great overview of uh, many, many of the artists that are coming to Vancouver, uh, including um, our resident artists who are second to none, and our international artists as well. Ticketed items, free items, all this kind of stuff. So for more information on the Jazz Festival, before we proceed with tonight's show, coastaljazz.ca. That's the important website. That will take you there and give you everything that you want to know about the Jazz Festival. You can purchase tickets there. You can find out the schedule. You can figure out what you want to do, what your time schedule is, um, as opposed to well, the performers, all that kind of stuff. Catch as much stuff as you can. And uh, we're all hoping for great weather. It usually is great um, uh, that part of June, the latter part of June. The festival starts on the 22nd and goes on to Canada Day, July 1st. All right, our jazz feature, always an important part of the show. And we're going to begin tonight with the jazz feature. Now, we all know about this tour. What tour? Well, what are you talking about, Walker? <laughs> this is the tour, the European tour, the legendary European tour of the Miles Davis Quintet, where John Coltrane didn't want to be part of the band anymore. He'd already given his notice to Miles. Um, and and Miles uh, begged him. Uh, this tour came up of Europe, uh, and Miles begged Coltrane to stay in the band and do the tour with him. Once the tour was over, he was free to go. Coltrane said, no, I'm not going to do this. Uh, you know, I've got my own projects here. Um, everything's happening for me right now in, in my career. This is 19, early 1960. Late 1959, early 1960, and, and Coltrane said, no, uh, no, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Miles literally begged John to um, join him on the tour, and uh, John reluctantly said, okay, I'll do it. And interestingly enough, uh, going back a little bit in history now, the famous uh, kind of blue band and, and that sextet uh, of course, made these monumental records, including, of course, Kind of Blue and, and other recordings. Uh, Cannonball Adderley, the alto saxophonist, had left in the summer of 1959 
to form his own band with his brother Nat. So Miles was reduced again to performing with a quintet. So the rhythm section was committed. Winton Kelly on piano, Paul Chambers on bass, and the one living member of this band, drummer Jimmy Cobb. He's still performing. Uh, Jimmy Cobb is still very active in New York. He's 84 years old and still playing and inspiring musicians. Anyway, he's the drummer. And so that rhythm section, Kelly Cobb uh, and Chambers, were um, basically committed. Now, Coltrane, as I mentioned before, was making noises about leaving. He had recorded his uh, monumental recording, Giant Steps, um, which kind of summed up everything. That was a milestone recording because it summed up everything that he was going for uh, up to that time. And uh, Coltrane, an, uh, who was an evolutionary musician, was moving forward with some new stuff that he had discovered and um, performing uh, with his own band when he had time off uh, from Miles and performing with his own groups. And he recorded another wonderful album at the end of 1959 called Coltrane Jazz. That's an often overlooked album, but it's a very, very good album as well uh, for Atlantic Records. And so then this tour. What Coltrane did on this tour was really use that time with Miles to extend what he was working on. Uh, Miles gave uh, a John Coltrane ultimate freedom in the band. Uh, he wasn't restricted to uh, taking um, the same amount or, or this, the same length of solos as Miles was. He could solo longer, and very often he did. And, of course, the rhythm section was so good, and they performed so wonderfully and steadily behind Coltrane. Um, it must have wore, actually, uh, uh, wore out um, the bassist and, and the drummer, no matter how talented they were, because Coltrane would play these long, convoluted solos, but they were wonderful. And they were very well received uh, in all of these European cities. And Coltrane had evolved to the state. People uh, under, uh, had listened to Coltrane via his recordings, but what he was doing here was very different from anything that he had uh, recorded up to that time. And um, the, the Swedes, as you will hear, uh, were very responsive. Um, they played in, in Copenhagen and recorded there. The Danes were very uh, open and, and loved Coltrane. Um, they recorded in Zurich, in Switzerland. They also recorded in Germany and in Holland. Um, all of these places, um, Coltrane was really well received except in Paris. <laughs> the French are, are very passionate about their music, and um, apparently there were some uh, times during Coltrane solos uh, in the Paris concert where he got booed. Um, um, I, I understand it's very disrespectful, but the French have always been very emotional about their music. Um, harkens back to uh, Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, uh, the first time in 1912 when it was performed in Paris. It was a riot because they had never heard music like that before. So sometimes the, the French would be very accepting of new music, and other times if they, if they weren't, they would react against it. So uh, Coltrane's um, 
uh, treatment in, in, in Paris was, was rather lukewarm, uh, to say the least. But he was so well received in, in every other city uh, and given the respect that he deserved. So the French are the French. They're very para- passionate about their music, and, and they're not afraid to make a noise uh, about it. Anyway, back to this concert. This was done in Stockholm, March 22, 1960. And we're going to hear a whole group of performances. And we're also going to hear after, immediately after the concert, uh, all of the performances that uh, I've picked out here from this concert, we're going to hear a short interview with John Coltrane that was done backstage uh, at the concert Fouzette in Stockholm. And it's a very interesting, revealing interview because... When you listen to Coltrane play with his uh, a thousand notes and, 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 and that compelling sound that he had, uh, when you hear his speaking voice, he was, um, um, I, I had met Coltrane myself a couple of times and very quiet spoken man, very, very thoughtful and um, with, a, with a quiet sense of humor, um, but very soft spoken much unlike his playing. And uh, so we'll hear that interview after we hear the concert. So the people involved, Miles Davis is in great form on here, playing just beautifully and um, inspired, um, I think, by everybody in the band, including John Coltrane. Um, And, of course, Mr. Coltrane on tenor saxophone, Winton Kelly is superb on piano, of course. Paul Chambers on bass and Jimmy Cobb on drums. So we're going to open up with two tunes. Um, The first one is one that Miles often opened up his concerts with, So What, his own composition. Great version of that. Then we're going to go to another uh, Miles Davis staple that he had uh, recorded with his sextet, and of course, he put this tune on the jazz map, and I'm talking about Green Dolphin Street. Then we go to uh, um, a piece of music that it's actually derived from a classical piece, but it's uh, Miles retitled it and reorchestrated it and dedicated it to his then wife, Frances, and it's called Fran Dance. And we're going to end the concert with um, a great version of a tune that was actually written by Gene Ammons, but it was a a Miles Davis staple as well, Walkin', and we're going to hear that. All of this was recorded, uh, as I mentioned before, in Stockholm at the Concert Fouzette, March 22nd, 1960. And we begin with, so what? Miles Davis.
Well, it's a pleasure and an honor to have John Coltrane in front of our microphone here. And John, I gotta be abrupt with you. I gotta say like this, that uh, your playing has been turned antenna-like, unbeautiful, on just about everything you can think of. And uh, since the uh, playing mirrors the personality, I guess you have some, some uh, personal thoughts of that kind to say. Um, well, uh, let me follow you again. Uh, you said my plan has on what? I didn't say that. <laughs> I said that what the critics said. Say, oh, well, they uh, seem to think that it's an angry sort of thing. It's real. Some of them do. I don't know about do the critics feel, here. Do you feel angry? No, I don't. Uh, I was talking to a fellow today, and I told him that uh, the reason I play so many so many, uh, it sounds, maybe it sounds angry because I'm I'm trying so many things at one time, you see. Like, I, I, I haven't sorted them out. I have a whole bag of things that I'm trying to work through and get the one essential, you know. Uh, would, you say, just, would you say that you're trying to play everything you hear at well, one time or something like that? No, there, there are some set things that I know, some devices that I know, harmonic devices that I know that will uh, take me out of the ordinary path, you see, if I use these. But I haven't played them l enough, and I'm not familiar with them enough yet, to take the one single line through them. So I play all of them, you know, trying to uh, acclimate my ears so I can hear, you know. In, this uh, in the uh, album liners of your latest LP, that was the Giant Steps LP, which we have played quite a lot on this show, uh, you claim that you were trying to, to get, a, a, as I understood it, a, a more beautiful sound. Would I you hope to. with that? Well, I, I hope to play uh, not necessarily a more beautiful sound, though I, I would like to, uh, you know, just say tone-wise, I would like to be able to, pr to produce a more beautiful sound. But now I'm primarily interested in trying to work what I have, what I know, down into a more lyrical line. You know, that's what I mean by beautiful, by more lyrical, so to be, you know, easy, so easily understood. I'm sure our listeners are, as they are mainly collectors of Coltrane records, I, I'm sure they like to hear you uh, express one thought of, of uh, what you think is, is uh, listenable among your whole production. Oh, uh, you mean of the albums that yes. I've made? Oh, I, I like Blue Train uh, myself. I figured you would. <laughs> There's such a I good band on there, you know. That's a real, that's uh, a real uh, dangerous uh, album, man. The, and uh, the, it was a good recording. Uh -huh. uh, How do you feel about this last uh, quartet recording here, Giant Steps? I think that was my best quartet recording so far, with you the exception like of maybe Soul Train. I'd put them both about mm -hmm. the same. How would you say uh, working with Miles Davis has influenced you stylistically? Well, uh, it's, it has uh, led me into most of the things that I'm doing now, you know. Yes, had a major stranglehold on you in that matter. I mean, he made you play the way you do, or you uh, you uh, got a chance uh, to play like well, you Well, I've do. been free. I've been so free here, you know, that uh, almost anything I want to try is... I'm welcome to do it, you know, so that's uh, the freedom has helped me I heard to you were experiment. splitting the Miles Quintet here and then trying something on your own. Yes, I am. How's that? With uh, whom? 
Uh, I have an, I have uh, several men in mind, but I haven't selected the side men yet. You know? I'm going to try with the quartet. Would you feel like working quartet. with uh, a, a quartet? Yeah, to begin with, and maybe in uh, several weeks after I start, I might add a fifth man. John, uh, which tenor plays do you think have influenced you, if any at all? All of them. <laughs> I would say all of them. But, uh, do you have a personal favorite, I mean, like you put on a record when you were at home and relaxing and so on? Well, Sonny Rollins is, uh, I think he's outstanding tenor man today, you know. That is that's exactly what Sonny Rollins <laughs> told me on this show about you. So that's, that's usually, <laughs> you know, to my be man, a mutual you know. admiration society yeah, here. Well, he's, uh, he's, he's great. I mean, you know. Mm -hmm. And, of course, in the formative days, well, like got, years you, ago, it was Dexter Gordon that uh, mm -hmm. actually was a well, major you do, you do have a strong feeling for tradition, haven't you? I guess so. I mean, I would like to even make it stronger. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd like to... Strengthen my roots, so to say, mm -hmm. you know, because uh, I didn't start at the beginning, and there's a whole lot back there that's, you know, that all young musicians Do should you, have. You uh, privately, I mean, when you're listening, you go back there, I mean, just just on your own account and listen. Well, I don't have many records in that era now, but I do plan to get them. I, I plan to include that in my repertoire. You know, all these old traditional things. So you got to I've been trying recently to uh, search myself, you know, and try to find things that are uh, reminiscent that sound like those things. But I'm really going to do some work on that soon. Well, John, it seems like you're on with the Miles Davis oh. Quintet here, and, and thank you very much for taking the time and dropping in on this You're welcome. Show. Thank you very much. Enjoy. And that was our jazz feature this evening. John Coltrane on his last tour with the Miles Davis Quintet, and of course everyone in an incredible form. And as you heard John Coltrane mention in the interview that um, Miles Davis basically gave him the freedom to, uh, to play um, exactly what he wanted in this band and, and experiment and uh, progress and uh, and become John Coltrane. So we hope uh, you enjoyed that interview. And, and interestingly enough, um, listening to Coltrane's uh, speaking voice, how he speaks so uh, quietly and uh, with a slight he hesitation, he's very careful choosing his words and, um, and very modest. And uh, almost as a, a contrast to his uh, uh, very, very declarative uh, and busy playing. And um, it's uh, kind of interesting. I, I do believe that the interviewer, um, a gentleman um, who had a, a, a jazz show in uh, Sweden, a very well-informed young man, Carl Eric Lindgren, um, who interviewed John Coltrane on that was, uh, I think he, he was quite in awe of talking with uh, Mr. Coltrane backstage at the concert Thuzet, where they performed the music that we heard on the jazz feature. 
And of course, the members of the quintet, um, most importantly, Miles Davis on trumpet, John Coltrane on tenor saxophone, Winston Kelly on piano, Paul Chambers on bass, and Jimmy Cobb on drums, the one surviving member of that quintet. And I must say, in historical terms, people often talk about Miles Davis's first great quintet, which uh, existed from 1955 to about 1957, with John Coltrane, Red Garland on piano, Paul Chambers on bass, and Philly Joe Jones on drums. And then later on, his second great quintet, which of course existed in the 60s with uh, Miles, um, Wayne Shorter, Herbie Hancock on piano, of course, Ron Carter on bass, and Tony Williams on drums. But I think this band that we just finished listening to is definitely the third great quintet of Miles Davis. So I hope you enjoyed that uh, jazz feature. The uh, selections we heard, uh, we opened with So What, written by Miles Davis, and then we went into the great standard that Miles put on the jazz map on Green Dolphin Street, written by Bronislaw Caper, and then an original composition by Miles uh, derived from a, uh, a classical piece uh, that he titled and dedicated to his wife, Frances Davis, his wife of the time, uh, called it Fran Dance. And the final tune was a, a mainstay of the Davis organization, and that was a tune written by Gene Ammons entitled Walkin'. And uh, we heard a little taste of uh, the theme closing the concert, and then we went to the backstage interview with John Coltrane and Carl Eric Lindgren. Our jazz feature this evening, you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9, or, of course, on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and we shall return in a few moments, right after some important announcements. You are listening to CITR. The annual Sled Island Music and Arts Festival returns to Calgary from June 20th to 24th, 2018. Discover over 250 bands, comedy acts, film, and art in more than 35 venues across the city. This year's festival features guest curator Deerhoof, innovative indie rock act Dirty Projectors, electronic innovators Mount Kimby, versatile folk pop duo Way Oak, futuristic hip-hop titans Shabazz Palaces, outsider pop tour John Mouse, and many more yet to be announced. Visit SledIsland.com for details, travel deals, and to get your festival pass. Hub Cycling is hosting Bike to Shop Days. On June 22nd to June 24th, come out and get advice on the gear and techniques that allow you to easily use your bike for shopping trips. There will be route maps for shopping, celebration stations, which have info, snacks, and free bike tune-ups, discounts at local shops around Metro Vancouver, a passport challenge where participants collect stamps at celebration stations to win prizes, guided rides, and riding to local stores to show support. Check out bikehub.ca for more information.
Well, it turned out to be a beautiful day today. Uh, it took a while, but it was really nice, um, especially later this afternoon. Tonight is clear with a low of 9. This is, of course, the weather. Uh, tomorrow, increasing cloud in the morning with a low of 9 and a high of 17. And then the outlook for Wednesday is cloudy with a 70% chance of a shower with a low of 12 and a high of 17. And then more clouds on Thursday, no precipitation in the forecast. Low of 12, high of 18, that's Thursday. Friday is a mix of sun and clouds, so it promises to, uh, things are getting better um, by the end of the week uh, with a low of 12 and a high of 21. And then Saturday and Sunday, next weekend, will be sunny. Lows between 14 and 15 and highs up to 25. So summer will be here by the weekend, very definitely. Some nice sunshine. So that sounds good. And uh, get out and enjoy it. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. We're going to take you to Vancouver, British Columbia, August 1973, to the CBC Studios. And this was originally one side of a CBC album. And um, there's a few pops and clicks and so on because this is transferred from the album. But it's essentially um, a radio show, um, a short uh, radio show that was broadcast on the CBC. And um, it features the great trombonist J.J. Johnson with some Vancouver legends, including the late and great Chris Gage on piano. And one of my best friends sadly departed, one of the most incredible bass players and human beings, Paul Ruland, on bass. And on drums, the wonderful Al Johnson. Now, um, this rhythm section was wonderful, and J.J. Johnson, of course, was extremely appreciative of uh, the talents of Vancouver musicians. And uh, the announcer on here is very typical of the CBC of the time, and he was one of the staff announcers at the CBC and also a jazz fan as well. His name, Telford Oliver, and, of course, um, uh, the, the, the kind of uh, formal uh, way of um, uh, presenting music on the radio is no longer quite that with the, uh, with the CBC today. So um, it's kind of interesting to hear his uh, speaking voice. Anyway, uh, we're going to hear two tunes um, broken up by Telford's announcing. The first one is the Learner and Low piece called Almost Like Being in Love, and the second uh, piece is a staple um, written by Johnny Mercer and uh, uh, Monsieur Prebert um, because it was originally a French tune, and that's the very famous tune, Autumn Leaves. So uh, two tunes, J.J. Johnson with uh, this wonderful group of Vancouver musicians. So here then is, first of all, the voice of 
Telford Oliver. The Canadian Broadcasting Corporation presents jazz from the West Coast. And on this program, the featured artist is the noted American jazz trombonist, J.J. Johnson, who performs with an accompanying trio of Vancouver musicians, Chris Gage, Al Johnson, and Paul Rulin. J.J. Johnson.
From Canada's West Coast, you're hearing the American trombonist, J.J. Johnson. This program, a studio recording, was made shortly after the close of the 1963 Vancouver Jazz Festival. The accompanying musicians are Chris Gage Piano, Paul Rulon Bass, and Al Johnson Drums. J.J. Johnson is performing four standards in the half hour, and the second of these, after that rapid improvisation on It's Almost Like Being in Love, is in contrast autumn leaves.
a couple of tracks from an old scratchy and rare CBC recording. J.J. Johnson with the Chris Gage Trio. And that was originally a recording made from a half-hour radio broadcast on CBC, recorded right here at the CBC. Um, I guess it was the CBC studios in the, the old CBC studios in the Hotel Vancouver, recorded um, in August of 1963. J.J. Johnson with the late and wonderful Chris Gage on piano, one of the greatest musicians that Vancouver ever produced. On bass, my old friend, buddy, I miss him dearly. Paul Ruland on bass and Al Johnson on drums. And the um, voice was the uh, inimitable uh, staff announcer who uh, I'm told was a, a big jazz fan, Telford Oliver. And he uh, in- introduced the band and did the announcing. We heard two tunes. Uh, the first one, the Lerner and Lowe staple that J.J. Uh, uh, loved to play, Almost Like Being in Love. And the second tune, of course, was... Uh, the great uh, standard, Autumn Leaves. So uh, a couple of rare items. As I mentioned, recording is a little scratchy, pops and clicks and so on, but that's what we have, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. J.J. Johnson with the Chris Gage Trio, recorded right here in Vancouver. We are going to do something now. We'd like to remind you that uh, my name is Gavin Walker, and this is The Jazz Show, and we're broadcasting from CITR 101.9 on your FM dial and also on the web, www.citr.ca. As I mentioned before, the Jazz Festival, uh, we did the show last week with uh, my great friend, John Orsick, and uh, John picked all the music and, and uh, did most of the talking as well, and uh, I thought uh, the show was one of the best overviews of this year's up-and-coming jazz festival. If you want to find out more about the jazz festival, all you have to do is get on your computer and go to coastaljazz.ca, and that'll give you Everything you need to know about the Jazz Festival. Okay, now we're going to do something. I was um, used to listen to uh, Ken Wiley, and we actually became friends. Ken was a, a trombonist and uh, a very, very well-informed um, DJ on... Uh, the Seattle NPR station, and um, uh, Ken used to broadcast, uh, I believe, I guess it was Sunday afternoon, and he did his show on KPLU and uh, in Seattle, and Ken always, uh, uh, the odd time he would, he would um, do a thing called chasing the tune, and uh, the idea kind of appealed to me uh, as a listener because what Ken would do would play you about five or six um, interpretations of the same tune played by different jazz musicians from different eras. And it was, it was always so interesting because you realize the, the creativity of, of the art of jazz um, really up to the musicians themselves 
and 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 their own particular concept of the tune, how it's going to be interpreted. So we're going to do. I'm inspired here by um, Ken Wiley. We're going to explore a tune. You know, of course, if you live in Vancouver, uh, transit and transportation is one of the important issues here in Vancouver. So this tune is is kind of uh, about that. And I'm sure you've heard this tune before. Even if you're not a jazz fan, you've heard this tune somewhere along the line. It's a very famous tune. It was Duke Ellington's, became Duke Ellington's theme song. And it was actually written by his musical partner, Billy Strayhorn. And the tune is Take the A Train, which, of course, is dedicated to the A Train, which uh, took you up to Harlem in, in, in New York. And um, so what we're going to listen to is the very first recorded version of Take the A Train by Duke Ellington's band, uh, recorded in the early 40s. And, of course, um, an amazing band it was, one of his finest organizations. And um, I'm not going to give you all the, all the personnel, but uh, um, I'll tell you the soloists uh, when we finish listening to the piece. Then we're going to hear an updated version of Take the A-Train, a totally different, an expanded version of the tune recorded years later by another edition of the Ellington Orchestra and featuring the um, vocal stylings of uh, one of his finest female vocalists, Betty Rocher. And she does this, a little scat thing on Take the A-Train, which is very cool. And this is an amazing tenor saxophone solo by the great Paul Gonzalez. Interestingly enough, um, if I may express a small opinion about Duke Ellington, one of his, probably his only musical weakness, I, in my estimation, this is my opinion, was his choice of vocalists. Um, I liked the two male vocalists that he had, Herb Jeffries being one of them, and Al Hibbler being the other one. And the two female vocalists I liked were the great Ivy Anderson from the early days and the vocalist we're going to hear on the second version of Take the A-Train, Betty Rocher. Um, that's my humble opinion about Duke Ellington. Anyway, uh, to me, that was his only musical weakness, was his choice of singers. Some of them were <sighs> just, well... Anyway, we're not going to listen to that. Any, <laughs> We're not going to hear them anyway. So we'll go from there after and play some other versions of Take the A-Train. But first of all, uh, because it's so much associated with Duke Ellington, we hear these first two versions. So this, we're going to begin with the original three-minute version from the early 40s, This, uh, and then we'll move to the second version recorded years later with Betty Roche, Paul Gonzalez, and the expanded version of Take the A-Train. So here we go. Jason, the A-Train.
train to find the quickest way to get to Harlem. If you should take the A train, you'd find you'll get where you're going if you hurry. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Now it's coming. Ooh, ooh. Can't you hear? The rails are humming. Get with it. If you should take the A train, you'd find you get where you're going if you hurry. Start blobber to your dub, sweat blobber to your dub, bully poo. She do do be clear that sweat blobby that shabby do do out. I ain't mad at you, pretty baby. Don't be mad at me. Oh, Bob Chapin, Cookie Mop, Shabby Oop, Dooby Oop, Doo Wow. Sweet, sweet, baby, do you do cha cha ba da blah ba do you day? Hey, oop, too. Sweet, blah ba do you do be day? Sweet, do be do, sweet, be day. Oh, Shabby Doop, Dooby Doo, you do sweet, blah ba do you do be day? Hey, oop, too.
two versions of Duke Ellington's theme song written by his musical partner, Billy Strayhorn. And, of course, that was Take the A-Train. We heard the original version recorded in February of 1941 with the um, great trumpet solos by Ray Nance. And, of course, you had to pay attention. That was one of the greatest um, Ellington bands during that period. Um, And uh, the bassist on there was uh, a gentleman who really put the jazz bass on the map, was the great and ill-fated Jimmy Blanton. Uh, Unfortunately, he didn't live that long, but he certainly made his mark and drove that band. So the original version of Take the A-Train, then we heard the updated version of Take the A-Train recorded about uh, a dozen years later with a completely different edition of the Ellington Orchestra with the vocal stylings of Betty Rocher and the great tenor saxophonist Paul Gonzalez doing that uh, incredible solo um, on that piece. So we're going to continue now with two more versions of Take the A-Train. The next one is the one of my favorite uh, versions of the Dave Brubeck Quartet. It was recorded in 1954, and it was during a college tour when Brubeck was just beginning to uh, gain fame and momentum and so on, and he really opened up um, the whole idea of presenting jazz to college students. And his first Columbia album was entitled, appropriately enough, Jazz Goes to College. And this version of Take the A-Train has always been one of my favorites. Brubeck really scores on here. Paul Desmond sounds wonderful, of course, on alto saxophone. And uh, the bassist, Bob Bates, and the driving drums of um, Joe Dodge. Yeah, well, with a name like Dodge, you had to drive things along, right? Okay. Anyway, here's Brubeck's version of Take the A-Train. And we're going to follow that with um, a rather unique version of Take the A-Train by an all-star band put together by the late, great drummer Shelly Mann. Incidentally, it's his birth, Shelly Mann's birthday today, and he leads Coleman Hawkins on tenor saxophone, Hank Jones on piano, and George DeVivier on bass. And this version, and we're going to follow the Brubeck version of Take the A-Train with Shelley Mann's version, and it's entirely different. So here are two different concepts of Billy Strayhorn's Take the A-Train. Here's Brubeck first.
two different versions of Take the A-Train, written by Billy Strayhorn. The first played by the Dave Brubeck Quartet from his classic album Jazz Goes to College, which was his very first album for Columbia Records, and it was a hit, sold uh, billions of copies. And we heard the Brubeck um, recorded at uh, the University of Ann Arbor, the Brubeck Quartet with Paul Desmond on alto saxophone, Brubeck, of course, on piano, uh, Bob Bates on bass, and Joe Dodge on drums, an early edition of the Dave Brubeck Quartet. And then we heard this, uh, what we just finished listening to, was um, from Shelly Mann's album, which came out on Impulse Records, called Shelly Mann 2, 3, 4, because it featured the great drummer um, in a duo, in a trio, and in a quartet. So we heard the quartet with uh, Shelley on drums, with Coleman Hawkins, the father of the tenor saxophone, Hank Jones on piano, and George Duvivier on bass. And we heard Take the A-Train. One more version, and this is a capper. It's by Charles Mingus, recorded at the Monterey Jazz Festival in September of 1964, and I had the pleasure of being there with my partner, who eventually became a wife. And um, it was an afternoon concert, and Mingus opened with, uh, with an all-Ellington medley. That's how he started the concert at Monterey, and uh, the Ellington medley was ended um, with this version of Take the A-Train. It's a tune that Mingus always loved to play. Of course, he loved Duke Ellington, and interestingly enough, um, geez, all of these people here uh, in the band were all good friends, and um, they've all departed, sad to say, but they're alive on this record, believe me. And um, well, as a matter of fact, not all of them are departed. The alto saxophonist is Charles McPherson. He is still very much with us and um, performing all the time, one of the great voices of the alto saxophone. And on tenor saxophone, John Handy, who is still very much alive as well, and he was guest on this particular track. On trumpet, the late and great Lonnie Hillier. On piano, I think stealing the show on this was the wonderful Jackie Byard, and, of course, Mingus on bass and Danny Richmond on drums. Mingus is so excited in this. Of course, it was summer. Uh, it was still very warm. And Mingus had these uh, big leather sandals. And you can hear him tapping his foot uh, um, on, on this piece because this, um, they had just finished a whole series of Ellington ballads. And then uh, this was the capper. And we're going to hear Take the A-Train. Charles Mingus version.
recapping our five versions of Take the A-Train, of course, was Charles Mingus, recorded at the Monterey Jazz Festival in 1964. His performance there stole the show, um, not only um, that afternoon, but for the whole festival. His performance was uh, written up in Time magazine, and uh, it was a real triumph uh, for Mingus. And this came at the end of a, a long ballad medley that he opened his set with, um, all Duke Ellington tunes. And, of course, uh, then the band broke into Take the A-Train. And we heard, of course, uh, the order of the soloist, Charles MacPherson on alto saxophone, and Jackie Byard on piano. Then we heard Lonnie Hillier on trumpet, followed by John Handy on tenor saxophone, and, of course, Danny Richmond uh, on drums, and uh, Charles Mingus on bass. And that was his version of Take the A-Train. So, as I said, we heard five versions of that tune, uh, the original version by Duke Ellington, and then an updated version by Ellington again, then Dave Brubeck's quartet, then Shelley Mann's group with Coleman Hawkins, and finally Charles Mingus. So I hope you enjoyed that uh, chasing the A-Train, and uh, we hope uh, it got chased down. <laughs> All right. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9. And uh, after these announcements, uh, we're going to change the pace a little bit and uh, bring you a wonderful piano player, a dear friend of mine who uh, resides in Australia, wonderful piano player by the name of Mike Nock. And we're going to hear some music by Mike right after these messages. My name's Gavin Walker, by the way, and this is The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. Pinoy Pride Vancouver Society presents Liberacion, the first LGBTQ X Pride art celebration, on Saturday, June 16th at XY Lounge, featuring performances by Kimortal, Naomi King, Romeo Reyes, Well, Jade Soul, and Mevian Hauser, and works by Politique, Mildred Grace German, Clar Pond, Jose Luis Reyes, Cesarina Bravo Tabopo, and These Bodies Between Us. Check out Pinoy Pride on Facebook for more information. We don't need to tell you that Vancouver has a housing problem. Mass evictions. Master evictions. Unfair rent increases. What happened to rent control and protection from unfair eviction? If these or other housing matters concern you, you may be interested in joining the Vancouver Tenants Union. For more information, visit tenantsunion.ca. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. Up next in the jazz show spotlight is pianist 
Mike Nock, who, uh, of course, um, lived in the U.S. for many years. He's been back and forth here. He lives in Australia now. He's originally from New Zealand, but he uh, considers himself an Australian. And um, if you bring up New Zealand, he he just shakes his head. No, I'm an Australian. He insists on that. And um, Micah, of course, he has played with uh, Yusuf Latif, John Handy. Um, Mike was part of one of the first fusion bands ever, and that was the uh, uh, San Francisco-based band, The Fourth Way. And uh, Mike was a big part of that band as well. Um, tremendously creative and um, sadly a little bit overlooked uh, uh, pianist, I guess because he does live in Australia, so he's, he's really uh, well-respected down there. And uh, here he is with his working trio with the uh, Waples brothers, um, Ben Waples on bass and James Waples on drums. And we're going to hear a couple of compositions by Mike. The first one is entitled Elsewhen, and the second one is entitled Beautiful Stranger. So hear the music of Mike Nock.
two pieces of music recorded in Australia at the Sound Lounge. And that featured Mike Nock on piano and the Waples Brothers, Ben on double bass and James on drums. And uh, all of that recorded in Sydney, Australia. And we heard two tunes written by Mike. Uh, the first one was entitled Elsewhen, and the second uh, more up-tempo thing was entitled Beautiful Stranger. The great sound of Mike Nock, one of my favorite pianists and a wonderful person who's uh, performed with all kinds of great musicians over the years. Here is a piece of music by Carla Blay, and this is um, actually the Charlie Hayden Liberation Orchestra, but uh, Hayden had uh, already passed away uh, when this was recorded. Uh, so Carla Blay took over the orchestra and uh, recorded this particular piece. It's her composition. And it features uh, Chris Cheek on tenor saxophone and uh, Michael Rodriguez on trumpet. And uh, this is a very moving piece of music. And I think you get the idea behind the whole um, mood of this. The actual title of the album is Song for Whales and Other Beings. And this piece of music is called Silent Spring. Carla Blay and the Charlie Hayden Liberation Music Orchestra.
formidable piece of music written by Carla Blay and entitled Silent Spring, and she was leading the Liberation Music Orchestra, um, a band that was started by the great bassist Charlie Hayden. And uh, he, had, uh, he had passed away, and uh, the album was completed by uh, Carla Blay taking over the band. And uh, she featured um, some of her uh, great music, including this piece, Silent Spring. Soloist on there, Chris Cheek on tenor saxophone and Michael Rodriguez on trumpet. And, of course, um, Carla's partner, uh, Steve Swallow, it was on electric bass, Matt Wilson on drums, and uh, various other people in the orchestra making up that uh, formidable piece of music, Silent Spring. Here is tenor saxophonist Jerry Weldon, one of my favorite people and one of my favorite players. Jerry, of course, uh, has worked over the years with um, Harry Connick and was uh, a big part of uh, Harry Connick's uh, hit daytime TV show. And Jerry Weldon was in the band for so many years. And uh, here's Jerry with his own um, little band, including Kyle Kohler on Hammond B3, Colby Inzer on drums, and Jerry, of course, on tenor saxophone. This is a tune that uh, I think everybody knows. It was a big hit back in the 60s, uh, written by Burt Bacharach and Hal David. Tune, Walk On By. Thank you. 
as they march off into the sunset. <laughs> Jerry Weldon on tenor saxophone with Kyle Kohler on the Hammond organ, Colby Inzer on drums, and on the first tune, the percussionist, Daniel Saddlewink. And the first tune we heard um, was the very famous uh, Bach Rock, uh, Back Rock, uh, David tune, Walk On By. And um, the second tune was a Jimmy Smith classic entitled The Sermon, taken um, at a much faster tempo than Jimmy Smith did it. And uh, Jerry Weldon. From his latest album, it uh, is produced by Jerry and Corey Weeds, and it's out on Cellar Live. And the album is called Those Were the Days. Jerry Weldon. Worth looking for and, uh, and checking out. It's a wonderful album, straight ahead, uh, wonderful stuff. And Jerry is one of the leading contemporary voices of the tenor saxophone. Been around for a while, but he's still, uh, you know, a young guy, lots of energy. And that's it for another edition of The Jazz Show. My name's Gavin Walker, and uh, we hope that you were able to uh, join us sometime during the evening. Uh, if you were here for the whole show, that's great. And if you were here for part of it, that's also great. And uh, we're also grateful to radio station CITR, 101.9 on your FM dial or on your computer, www.citr.ca for live streaming. And um, we're grateful that uh, we can do this particular show every Monday night for three hours plus on CITR. We shall see you in seven days' time. So take care. And uh, if the sun comes out, enjoy it. And be good to yourselves. Bye-bye.
Thank you.